And so that's why we take more time when we're launching them, because we really want to just express the importance of them to you. And so really glad you're here this morning. Um, it's good to see some new faces and some familiar faces who are back from summer. And so welcome to Orange Crest Community Church. I'd like to pray before we dive into the message this morning. So let's pray. God, we thank you for this morning. Once again, we're just here to, uh, well, there's a variety of reasons we are here. God, to worship you, to get answers, to gain insight, to get perspective, to find comfort, help, encouragement. Um, so God, we just pray that with all that we have brought into this room, um, that we would be able to uh, meet with you, or that you'd meet us here, and that we would recognize um, what you're doing in our lives and understand how to respond to you. Thank you, God, that Jesus does hold all things together, just as we sing from Colossians 1. God, He is the image of the invisible God. He does hold all things together. He holds our lives together. He holds the answers. And so, God, we just look to Him right now for for help and guidance. We pray You'd speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are beginning a new series, message series today, and so it is, you've come at a good time because we're launching something brand new this morning, talking about um, w- how we relate as a church. Um, so in case you've been wondering, I wonder what this church is all about, it's a good time to come because over the next six weeks we're going to be looking at how we relate as a church. What are the high core values that we commit to or that at least we're trying to build the church upon? And so... Um, you have come at a really good time. It's not easy to enjoy church life together. Um, the series title is Enjoying Life Together. And if you pull out this bulletin cover that you got when you came in, and you look closely at this picture, does it look like they're having a good time? Can't you just feel the love? You know, This is from Awkward Family Photos, a website. There are many more on there. But life is not always fun together. Sometimes life can be a real pain. Sometimes it can be a real grind. And depending on how we're feeling or how we're treating each other or how we're being treated, life can be really difficult, depending on how we approach relationships. Um, we are you know, a major ingredient in our relationships. We're at least one part of what we bring in the mix. And so church life, relating to each other in church life, can be very, very challenging. Um, when we, And the reason is because when we're left to ourselves, we default into a native or instinctual approach or mode of relating, which I would just like to call me first. That's our default, is me first. I go first. My needs first. That's the default mode that we flip into without much assistance from anyone. And so because of that, it's not pleasant for for us. It's not pleasant for a lot of people who we are around. Whenever we choose me first as as our mode, Things get kind of rocky. And it starts early on. It doesn't just start as adults. It starts early on. Um, I was a Cub Scout. So here's a couple of examples. I was a Cub Scout when I was a kid. And uh, I didn't didn't last long. I threw enough temper tantrums to where it didn't work out. And so there was something called the Pinewood Derby. And I don't know if any of you had to do this, but Pinewood Derby is you make a car and you race your car. Not with any motor or engine, but just with the weight of the the little vehicle that you're supposed to build. 
So you're supposed to shape this thing, put wheels on it, you know, make it go fast and win races. Bottom line, you want to win, right? So I go to the event. I've got my Pinewood Derby racer, and I, I lose all the races. I'm crying. I'm a kid. You know, I'm crying, and I'm throwing a fit, and I want to quit. My, my parents are like, no, you need to see this thing through. I didn't, I didn't. I was the slowest car. I still have the actual car, and it's like a big block. No wonder it didn't go anywhere. I didn't shape the thing all that well. But later on, there was this thing called the Father-Son Cake Bakeathon, which I think is funny. You know, just let's just state that. That's just funny. But it was a Father-Son Cake Bakeathon. It was a fundraiser, and it was also prizes for the best cakes. And so, well, mine was the Arrow of Light cake, and so. Arrow of Light was, someone must be familiar with the Arrow of Light. So uh, it's the sun with this arrow, and it was blue and yellow and white. And I made the thing right, I think, and I got no prizes. I got, nobody bought my cake. I, I cried until my parents paid $30. <laughs> I even asked them about it. You spent $30 on that, didn't you? And they had already paid for the ingredients. They, they bought my cake back. I was throwing a fit. And again, because it was about me. It, this was the default mode. Is It made sense to me to, to throw a fit in order to get my way. That's what we default into. It's just unhealthy to do it, but it's something that's all very natural for us. We default into that mode anytime we're disappointed. Whenever someone breaks or lets us down or disappoints us, you know, we get irritated, we get frustrated. If someone blocks our goals, they stand in between us and what we want then we can get angry. If, if we're hurt by someone, if someone actually does hurt us intentionally or even unintentionally, and we harbor ill feelings, they simmer below the surface and we just we get so frustrated. And all of these things you know, come from this default mode, which is me first. I go first. It's about me. There is no joy whenever we choose that mode of me first, is there? There's no joy for us. There's really not joy for others. And it kind of traps us, honestly. Thankfully, God in His Word, He's shown us the way out. So this message this morning is really looking at the first of seven heart attitudes, um, core values for our church, things that we want to build church life upon. And so this one really gets at attacking the me in me. And just attacking that, that struggle. And so early on we learned this in, in the Scriptures. It's at the top of your listening guide if you'd like to follow along. Selfishness is the main characteristic that works against healthy relationships, healthy groups. This is what works against churches being pleasant places. This is what works against businesses being harmonious organizations. It's because we're in me mode. It comes so naturally to us. Most of us, we wake up each each morning with... I, I wake up with me in mind. I don't know about you. But I wake up with my stuff on mind, my mind, my desires, my wishes... You know, my to-do list. Some of you may be different. You might wake up and you have other people on your mind. But I think it's very easy to just default into me first. You don't have to learn it. Actually, Scripture says that we were born this way. Folly, this is called folly, is bound up in the heart of a child. That's, that's just something we... Hello, we're here in, in, on this earth and now I want to get what I want. We actually all really need our parents to play a crucial role in helping us get past our selfishness. Because if we don't, we're going to have a rocky, rocky life. So it's important when we're two, when we're three, 
when this stuff really starts showing up initially as parent, parents, it's really important, if you are a parent, to really challenge the selfishness that your children has. And don't think, oh, it's, it's embarrassing. Well, everybody struggles with selfishness. Our, our children really need this challenge at those early years, especially, you know, as they're heading into teenage years, they need that challenge. They need to understand it's not just about me. If by the time we're 18, 19 years old, if by the time we're adults, our selfishness has never been challenged, and if it's only been indulged, then we're in for a rocky, rocky life. And what we have is many, many adults who are extremely selfish people who've never really been stood down on their selfishness. And it's funny. I, I, I think when it comes to church, I'll ask people, hey, what are you looking for in church? What kind of church are you looking for? People will, will say, I want a New Testament church. You know, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I, I've heard people say that. It might just be because I'm a pastor that I hear this, but people will say, or I really want a New Testament church. But then when I read the pages of the New Testament, what I find out is that the New Testament churches were pretty damaged and broken. And they were filled with problems because there was people that brought their native selfishness into churches. And so a lot of the churches dealt with a lot of problems. But that's normal. So in many ways I would say, we're, we're a, probably a New Testament church. The problems that we face in this church are like the problems that we see being addressed in the Bible. There's just problems. And the reason is because we're here. We bring our selfishness in the mix. There's a joke. It's probably a pastor's joke. But it's, if you ever find a perfect church, don't go there. Because you'll bring your problems with you, you know. If you, it's, we are collectively part of a major problem in making church life enjoyable. And the truth is, we know it. So, it's a good start. What do we do? What are we supposed to do to find our way out? Look at what Paul says to the church in Corinth, who really wrestled with this issue. Actually, if you see this word narcissism there, narcissism is something that psychologists have... There's this term that's coined that has identified a problem that's on the rise, which is just excessive self-love and self-admiration. In our culture, it's just it's becoming more and more a problem. Excessive self-love and admiration. It's, it's from a character, a Greek, a Greek mythological character, who was infatuated with his own image that he went up to. So it's mythology. He goes up to a, a pool. He's attracted to a little pool of water. And he's, he's looking into the... He's so infatuated with himself. He's looking into the water and he sees his reflection. He'd never seen it before. And he thought it was the most beautiful thing that he never left. He died there, looking at himself. It's, it's overindulging ourselves is where this term comes from. It's this, it's this fixation upon oneself. And so it's a real problem that's on the rise in our culture. We know this. Look at what, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Brothers, Paul said, I couldn't address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? Paul's just saying, you've defaulted. He says, you're in the church, but you've defaulted to the world's way of relating. Instead of being spiritual people who are relying on the power of the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit who lives inside Christians, he says, you've defaulted to 
the world's way, which is, it's really just trying to muster up strength of relating, using strategies, internal strategies, to figure out how to get along with people, and it's blowing up. It's causing quarrels, fights. He's saying, this isn't working. This isn't working. This church in Corinth actually dealt with a tremendous amount of problems because there was so much selfishness and arrogance that had infected the whole body. We need help in this area. We need help. This is what Scripture says, though. This is what God does to pull us out. He shows us a better way. It's found in Christ's love. In fact, Christ's love is what motivates a new way of relating. If you want to learn how to get along with people, whether it's in a church or whether it's in your family or organization, it's learning to be motivated by what Christ has done. Understanding what He did and how He loved us. Look at what it says in Philippians 2. This is Paul to a different church, but and it's a healthier church, but still some problems going on in this church. There was these two ladies in this church that were causing problems. They couldn't agree with one another. So Paul says this. He says, If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Whenever you give your life to follow Christ, He gives you everything you need to find your way out of the native strategies of selfishness. The Bible says that because of our rebellion, we've been cut off from God. Scripture says that all of us stand in judgment before God. And apart from Him sending His Son Jesus to rescue us, we would have no hope. But the moment we turn our life over to to Him, receiving Christ as the Lord, receiving Him as the one who saves us and then leads us, we experience a new life. We We can turn the corner. And we discover values. We discover values on how we can live differently and relate differently. But it's because of His love. It's not anything that we just muster up on our own. The reservoir, the reservoir for which we draw real love is, is the motivate, is, it's Christ's love. That's what motivates us. We're motivated to love people in the church or in our families because He has first loved us. His love helps us understand, wow, God loved me in my selfishness, in my brokenness. He didn't think I was a waste of time. Therefore, I'm motivated to love other people who struggle in the same ways with selfishness, brokenness, And the Scripture says here there's encouragement and comfort moment by moment from from Him. It comes from Him. There's encouragement and comfort. And then also from the Spirit of God who lives in us, He empowers this change to happen. There's these little if statements in here. There's four ifs. If, 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 if. You see them. These four things are amazing realities that are the motivation to do life and to do relationships differently. If these things have truly happened, then we can truly love others differently. Verse 2 mentions this. It says there's these things that unite us. Look at what they are. The things that unite us first is being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. The love of Christ actually creates the possibility for us to work together with others in unity. But again, the motivation is the love of Christ. He's shown us True love, that motivates us to actually unify when we're in groups. That, this is how churches can, can exist is because if it was up to me, I have my ideas. It's hard for me to get my mind and your mind on the same things. And so the motivation is to be like-minded because the things that are on his mind, on Jesus' mind, 
They lead me away from the things that I'm so often distracted by. So we get united as we follow the things that are on His mind. We, we, we pursue the same love that He expressed. We're being one in spirit and purpose. These are things that happen in church life together through unity. So Christ's love, it's the motivating factor in us actually doing church well. This is what we build church upon is the love of Christ. But then humility is what helps us see the needs of others. Humility is, the idea of humility is, humility is lowering yourself, forcing yourself down, taking a lower position before others. Humility is you go first. Not me first, but it's you go first. And anytime we lower ourselves, we actually can see, wow, look at what's going on out there. But when we're looking down on everyone, we're typically just driving forward what we want. It's me first. So humility Look at this verse, Philippians 2, 3 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We naturally, what this verse is saying, look at verse 4. We naturally think of ourselves and our interests. Again, like I said, it's not anything we have to work hard at. It's just natural. It comes natural to think about what I need, to think me first. So when we get together with other people, when we're relating, it's very easy and natural to just talk about my needs. We're all, we all can be guilty of this, just talking about what we want, what we need. And so we can dominate conversations. We can dominate relationships without ever considering, wonder what they need. I want to I show you a, a humorous song, so you have to listen very carefully. And it talks about this whole idea of the fact that other people have needs as well. It's a country song. One of our interns this past year was a country music fan, and so I started listening to country music. Now I'm hooked. It's kind of strange. I've never been interested in country music before. Some, some really unique songs on country stations. So this is one of them. But it talks about this whole idea of don't just look at your own interests, but also look to the interests of others. Listen to this song. I want to talk about me. about your dreams and we talk about your schemes, your high school team and your moisturizer cream. We talk about your Nana up in Muncie, Indiana. We talk about your grandpa down in Alabama. We talk about you guys of every shape and size, the ones that you despise and the ones you idolize. We talk about your heart, about your brains and your smarts and your medical charts and when you start. You know talking about you makes me grin. But every now and then, I want to talk about me, want to talk about I, want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my, what I think, what I like, what I know, what I want, what I see. I like talking about you, 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 you believe. But occasionally, I want to talk about me. You guys and gals singing it along, you know. It's a catchy song, I tell you. You'll be running down the freeway singing it, too. I want to talk about me. Yeah, I, want to, I like talking about you, 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 usually, but occasionally I want to talk about me. It's the idea that, the truth is, Philippians 2.4, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. It's so easy to just stay at what I want. But there's others in the room. There's others in the group. There's others in the church. There's others on the team. There's others in the family. They're dealing with things. Man, what a challenge this is for us. What pride does is pride inflates our own self-importance 
in a relationship. Humility leads you to take the focus off of yourself and to actually see what, what is needed. It's like the mirrors on the passenger side of the, of the car. If you don't realize it's not normal, then you're going to crash. And that's kind of how our pride, in the same way our pride can do great damage if we underestimate our pride. So humility, it's, that's how we battle our pride. Here's four things, really briefly, that flow out of love and humility. First is live the royal law. Let me explain this. The royal law, James, he's talking about, he calls this thing the royal law. James chapter 2. This is a chapter that's talking about the danger of playing favorites in church. The danger of partiality, like relating to only certain kinds of people. Like treating someone really highly who you think, wow, they deserve it. They, and then this person who doesn't look like he deserves it, I'm not going to treat them all that highly. James is saying that's really dangerous. You don't want to play favorites. But then he gets to this. He says, if you really keep the royal, the word royal means supreme or sovereign, the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. What's he talking about? The, the royal law, I mean this phrase, love your neighbor as yourself, you re- probably recognize that as the second greatest commandment. When Jesus was said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, the first thing is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is likened to it, it's love your neighbor as yourself. So James is saying, this is really important. This is the royal law, he calls it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you do that, you're doing right. Who's your neighbor? Jesus answered the question, who's your neighbor? In a story that he told about the Good Samaritan, where somebody met a need when someone was desperately in need of it. And the the idea of the neighbor is, anyone whose need we can meet, that's our neighbor. If I have the power to meet someone's need, you know, there's all sorts of circumstances that crop up in church life where I have the power to step in and to be a help. It's hard, though. Because we see our needs, pride, again, it inflates our own self-importance, that we can't see the needs of others because of what is going on in our lives. And so in church life, constantly have to be scanning and paying attention because needs are cropping up all the time. And if we don't get out of our world, then we won't ever see them. Because there's enough keeping us busy. There's enough occupying our minds. So we have to get out of our world, rub shoulders with others. This is why groups is so important. Small groups are really important because you get to interact with a small group of people, interact with them, and you start hearing about needs. And we pay attention. And we step in and help. Another key is this. Always show honor. Always show honor. Especially in church life, in relationships within the church. Romans 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Sincere, the idea is, without hypocrisy. Like, from the center of who you are. Not fake love, but real love. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above, your, above yourselves. This, this, I think, is a very, very challenging verse, or set of verses to live out. Especially that second part. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. But he's, he's talking to a church about the church. But he says... Be so devoted and committed to each other that it's like family, like brotherly love. See, we tend to think, man, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice for my, for my family. I'll go to bat for my family. I'll be there for my family. When it comes to blood, I'm there. But what, what, what Paul's saying here is the church is like family. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. There are people in our lives, in church life, that we're to be devoted to. 
And then we're to sacrifice for, we're to get involved in, we're to help, as if it was blood. That's what he's saying. And then he says, honor one another above yourselves, which this is the, I, the idea of outdoing one another in honor. It's like, this is the right kind of competition, he says. Compete to show honor. Like, really try to honor people in a sense. Like, you're trying to show people their value. You're, you're communicating value upon people. Because the truth is, everyone in this room has equal value before God. And it's easy to give certain people, depending on how they look or how they act or what happens in their lives, more attention and, and, and honor and, or, or more value, I guess. But we're to honor others above ourselves. We're to keep working at outdoing in honor. Look at the next point here is use words that build. This is what happens in, in community as well, in church life. Or to use words that build. That's loving. Not just use words that are worthless or that are aimed at expressing our needs, but look at what it says in Ephesians 4.29. Here's the purpose of our words. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So the point of my words is the good of others. That's what he's saying here. When I open my mouth, it's, it's them first. It's you first is what it's to be. Now, what a challenge this is to us personally. This is such a challenge to live out. Another key perspective that flows from love and humility is this final point. In preference, show deference. You have preferences. Everyone here has preferences. How you think life should work. What you want to do with your day. What movie you'd like to see. What you want to eat for dinner. You have preferences. I do like this. I don't like that. And so in your preferences... In church life, there's all sorts of opportunities to defer to other people's preferences and to let go of the things you'd want. Romans 15, 1 and 2. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Like we're to really consider other people's preferences, weaknesses, struggles. We're to be thinking about how can I build up the other person here, this person who's struggling. Look at 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23. It says, everything is permissible, meaning, you know, I can do certain things. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. Nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So if it's just something you prefer to do, then just defer it. If you're in a group, sometimes there'll be, like in a small group, Everyone has an opinion on something. Hey, we're going to have a fun night. What do you guys want to do? Oh, I don't want to do that. There's always the opportunity to just be that guy who's like a stick in the mud and just saying, no, I don't want to do that. Here's what I want to do. And the whole group has to, okay, everybody's going to get around what he wants to do. We're going to go see this movie. Nobody wants to see it. We're going to eat at this place. I mean, but in our preferences, if you defer, this is really a practical application of really loving people. If it's just a preference... Why not defer to what they want? However, the other side of this is if it's a principle. If it's something that's a deep conviction, it's a deep principle, you don't want to violate your conscience on doing things. But in those things, show kindness. Show a kind resolve and demeanor towards the people you're relating to. Again, you're trying to consider. It's not just about me and my thoughts. The big idea here is we... As followers of Christ, we can limit our freedoms out of consideration for others. There's all sorts of things we're free to do that we, at times, may need to limit in order to help other people. 
This whole idea sums up the first heart attitudes of our church, which is our first core value, which is put the goals and interests of others above your own. Often in church life, this happens. And the, the need for this crops up very often in church life. If you want to be a part of a church long term, because of our native selfishness, we have to choose over time to put this into practice in all sorts of different ways, all different cases and places in church life, this comes up. Now, this applies to family and other areas too, but specifically as it relates to how do we enjoy, what does it really take to enjoy life together as a church? Well, it certainly takes this. This is, a, this is something that is found throughout the, the New Testament as a high, high value. So the band's going to come up now. We're going to continue on with our service. I'd like to ask you to take out that white connection card. And you'll see there's some next steps on the back of it as a way to think through, okay, how can I apply this today? We've kind of covered the broad topic of what it means to really love people and get past ourselves. But here's some specific applications you might consider taking. And then later on, in just a few moments, we'll be receiving our offering. You can drop this card in the offering as well. But maybe one next step is, I'd rather, I really need to memorize something to remember this message. A good verse would be Philippians 2 verse 3, which is, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourselves. It's a, it's a great verse just to remember. It's not just about me. Secondly, read Philippians 2, 5 through 8. This is the next section in that passage we've looked at. This is where he begins to talk about Jesus and the life that he lived and the attitude that he took when it related to people. And maybe you need to read that and then think through it answer some questions about it. Or the third next step is just identify what's my first step towards applying this hard attitude. The hard attitude of put the goals and interests of others above my own. What's your very first step in putting that into practice? For, for where you're at, for who you're relating to, for the people that you're getting to know in church life, what is the very first thing that you can do? I'd encourage you to maybe jot some notes down and really think through a practical application of today's message so that it's not just like, yeah, that was good information, real helpful. And then, and, then, and then you don't do anything with it. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask Him to continue to speak to us, show us some specific things in an effort to apply. Father, we love You. Lord, the love of Christ is the motivation we have to love others. And it's out of humility that we can see what others need. And so, Lord, I pray that love and humility would be in our minds, that we'd be chewing on these these things and that you'd show us, God, just specifically how to um, bust out of the default mode of me first. Help us not to be staying there and stuck there all of our lives, Lord. Thank you for just the way that you reached down and pulled us out of just a life of selfishness. Thank you for sacrificing on the cross for us, Jesus. Perfect picture of an unselfish act. Now, Lord, I pray that would motivate us, Lord, in our relationships to each other. I pray we take Your Word seriously, God. Help us to live this stuff out in the way that we treat each other. May this value, putting the goals and interests of others above our own, not just be a stated value, but be a value that we live before each other in obedience to you, God. We thank you for your word. We ask you for the, the power to live it out today and this week. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. And we thank you for the offering about to receive. We pray you'd bless it and use it to further your kingdom, God, to advance your kingdom causes in our city and in this area and the families that we're investing in here as a church family and then also just abroad to do more than we could do by ourselves, Lord. We love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So our ushers are going to be coming around to receive the offering, and as they do, if you drop that in there, drop the white card in there. If you like, you can give an offering. If you use the offering envelope, it helps. That way you know what you're giving, and you're able to also give online. I think we've been having still having problems with our website, so if you do give online, we're trying to get that remedied. But anyways, let's go ahead and receive the offering. And for those of you who did contribute to the truck fund thank you so much you you probably saw it out there there's a big ford red ford out there that's pulling our church trailer so we're really appreciative to everyone who sacrificed and gave above their regular giving to help um, purchase that so that the guys can can haul the equipment to church week in and week out so let's continue on in worship